I would say either read a book, go to a class, talk to a counselor, learn something before the baby comes. And in the early stages, keep reading, keep going to workshops, keep attending classes at your church, always be in the learning mode. You can be a good parent. That's Dr. Gary Chapman, and he's with us again on Focus on the Family to share some practical advice and encouragement for you as an expectant parent. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, I'm excited to continue our discussion today to help expectant parents and those in the first year or two, maybe even if you have a child four or five years old, this is going to be very important to you, or your grandparent, this will be important for you as well. Um, One, what's your role as a grandparent? And then two, things you can share with your adult child about parenting in the most delicate of ways, of course. (laughs) And Dr. Chapman is Senior Associate Pastor at Calvary Baptist Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and he is a very popular uh, marriage seminar speaker and addresses so many different things. He's certainly, uh, Jim, one of our top guests in terms of listeners respond to what he says. Well, also, John, uh, Gary's one of the most popular, if not the most popular, author uh, in the Christian publishing space. And Gary, with that long introduction, <laughs> let me say welcome back. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here again. Uh, you know, we left off last time talking about the five love languages, and I told you at the end of the program I wasn't sure what I was. You said words of affirmation, and John, you said the same. Let's hit the five again, and I'll try to take a stab at what I might be. All right. Words of affirmation. You look nice in that outfit. Really appreciate what you did. Just verbally affirming the other person. Another love language is gifts. It's universal to give gifts as an expression of love. The gift says, they were thinking about me. And then there's acts of service, doing something for the other person that you know they would like for you to do. And in a marriage, that is such things as cooking meals and washing dishes and washing cars and mowing grass and changing the baby's diaper and all those good things. (laughs) And then there's quality time, giving the person your undivided attention. I'm not talking about watching television together. I'm talking about sitting on the couch with the TV off, looking at each other and talking or walking down the road and talking with each other. And then there's physical touch. We've long known the emotional power of physical touch. That's why we pick up babies and hold them and kiss them and cuddle them. And long before the baby understands the meaning of the word love, the baby feels loved by physical touch. So those are the five love languages. Yeah, those are good. And I want to work that into uh, how we identify the love language of our children at an early age. And we'll do that. I think mine is, like you guys, words of affirmation when I think about it. That probably is the one that excites me more than the other four. So I'll land well, let there. Me pause. Words of affirmation. Well, let me pause and say, you're doing a great job in this interview, too. Hey, I feel good already. <laughs> That's it. That's my love language. But uh, tell us about that with uh, respect to children. I think I noticed with Troy, it was easier because it was just so self-evident. Hmm. I can remember, Gary, I think we were having you here focus on the family to talk about those. And I was doing the prep for that program. And I said to Troy, I said, Uh, what do you think your love language is? And I began to read him, and he was probably five or six, and he said, physical touch. Yeah. He knew it. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it is. I think you can determine a child's love language by the time they're, certainly by the time they're four years old, maybe even earlier, by observing their behavior. Right. How do they respond to you and others? Uh, My son was the same. His is physical touch, and when he was three or four, when I would come home in the afternoon, He would run to the door, grab my leg, climb up on me, you know. 
My daughter never did that. Huh. At that age, she would say, Daddy, come into my room. I want to show you something. Right. She wanted my undivided attention, quality time. Mm. They're adults. That's still their love language. His mm. is physical touch. Hers is quality time. So you can identify it rather early. Before that, you just give them all five. Right. Give them all five. And even after that, you give them heavy doses of the primary, but you sprinkle in the other four because we want the child to be able to receive love and give love in all five languages. That's the healthiest adult. Yeah. So this can be very helpful to parents who really want their children to develop this key skill in terms of emotional development. Really unlocking your child's heart in that area. Absolutely. Let's go to the other continuum for the parent in that regard. Um, You talk in your other book about love languages. You talk about uh, it being seasonal, that you can lean into different love languages depending upon what's happening around you. I'm sure you you maintain your core, but the other ones become more important to you. Uh, Describe that seasonal aspect of the love languages. Well, and this is especially important when the child comes or when you have one or two young children. Because let's say, for example, uh, a mother's love language may be gifts or words of affirmation. But when she has two or three preschool children, I can tell you acts of service is going to jump to the top. Right. And when that husband is willing to jump in there and help her and work, do those things with her in the home, boy, she's going to feel loved by him. Mm. So it's almost momentarily her primary love language changes. But when the children get a little older and then they begin to do some of the things for themselves, it'll go back to being gifts or words of affirmation. So, yes, that's what I mean when I say that sometimes the seasons of life will affect what your primary love language is. And in keeping the marriage alive while after the baby comes, this is really important to recognize. Mm. There are, uh, to that end, Dr. Chapman, there are times when a couple may want to work on uh, that strength of relationship that they used to have that a child has kind of interrupted for now. How did they get around to having quality time together when the baby always needs something or uh, or physical touch? When mom is postpartum and she's feeling like, yeah, I've got enough going on, don't touch me. Yeah. And I think that's where we have to hear each other out and give preference to a person's you know feeling at the moment. But I think also we have to work our schedule so we have time to spend quality time together, have time to be with each other and touch each other. And I mentioned in the last program the whole concept of putting the children to bed early so that you do have some time on a regular basis. And if you have family around, then let the family enjoy the children while the two of you have time to do something together with yourselves. But if we can't attend to the relationship as much uh, right now as we want to intentionally, keep at it. Yeah, I think so, because listen, you know, the child is going to be here for 18 years in your home, at least, <laughs> maybe longer, and and they're going to always be demanding your time. If you don't give time to each other, by the time they get to be 18, you won't even know each other. So it's important to keep the marriage alive while you're raising children, and there's enough time to do it. We just have to manage our time. Well, it's another way to say that your marriage should last forever, and your parenting Uh, is only going to last a while. I mean, it changes when they move out of the home. You're still a parent, but you're more of a friend at that point, uh, hopefully adult friend. Um, Gary, let me ask you about this. You encourage parents to evaluate their own childhood and uh, also compare that to who they've become, where they're at now. Yeah. 
um, looking at both those positive and negative traits, what can a person hope to learn from doing that? I think what they do, if they will sit down and, and ask themselves, my, look at my father. What do I see in me that was in my father? Mm. You're going to find some things. And you're going to see how powerful his influence was on you. Same thing's true with a mother. Do you think we underestimate that I think as we adult do. children? I think, I think we do underestimate it. And your understanding the influence they had on you is going to make you aware of the powerful influence you're having on your child. Mm. That's why, you know, in the book when I ask that question, which is, to me is the most sober question I ever asked myself, what if my children turn out to be just like me? Mm. What if they handle their anger the way I handle my anger? What if they drive a car the way I drive a car? What if they have the same work ethic that I have? What if they talk to other people the way I talk to other people? And I could go on. I deal with a lot of those in the book. But it's a sobering thing because my model is going to have a greater impact on my children than my words. Yeah. In fact, if my words and my model are too far apart, they will lose respect for me. Let me ask you this, because spiritually speaking, this is very critical and seems important to raise. Um, as Christians, as believers, in many ways, we're trying to uproot those negative things and replace them with what we would call the fruit of the Spirit, yeah. right? Love and joy and peace and goodness and kindness and mercy. Um, how do we concentrate on that as well? Not just identifying um, who my dad or my mom yeah. was and how they influenced me and my personality, but how do I uproot those things I don't like yeah. that I see and plant something better, something yeah. God-oriented in my heart? And I think that's precisely what God is trying to do with us. You know, we affirm our parents for the positive things, and we go to God and recognize this, the areas in which we are weak or we're not handling things well. This is the whole spiritual growth thing. And that's why it's so important for parents to spend time with God every day, individually, reading the scriptures, listening to what God wants to say and do in you, mm. and responding to him. It's a growth process. We're all in process. And the goal is to become more and more like Christ. So our personal relationship with God is extremely important in the way we relate to our children. Uh, for the person listening, the mom who didn't have that healthy relationship with her mom or with her father, now she's worried. She's heard what we've said, and she's mm -hmm. concerned. Yeah. Um, what are some practical things that she can do? When she catches herself getting angry, what should she do? Yeah. I think the good news is we can learn new patterns of behavior as adults that we did not learn when we were children. The anger, for example, we can learn how to hold our immediate response you know, the proverb says that wise man restrains his anger. We, so we get a way in which we can do that. It may be counting to 10 or counting to 25. It may be going and water your flowers. One lady told me she decided that's what she was going to do. She felt <laughs> angry. She was going to go water her flowers. Those she flowers said, are really healthy. Right? <laughs> she, she said the first summer I did that, I almost drowned my petunias. <laughs> but we can learn new patterns of, of behavior, whatever the area is. We don't have to be locked into what we learn from our parents growing up, especially if it's negative. Yeah. You also mentioned creating a family or a parenting mission statement. Yeah. Now, of course, I go, oh. That's what I need is another list. <laughs> but speak to that. You know, one of the things that we've talked about on this program is 
the necessity for house rules and yeah. some experts will say have as few as possible others say no house rules are great kids know the boundaries yeah. so what does a, a parenting mission statement do and what does it look like i think it's simply a statement in terms of what you hope will happen as these children by the time these children get to be 18 years of age what do you want them to be able to do? What do you want, what attitudes do you want them to have? What do you want their vision to be in life? What do you want their where do you want their heart to be? And it's it's just getting a vision of what I because we've got 18 years to bring this child to a place where they're going to be on their own. They're going to go off to the university. They're going to go and join the military. They're going to do something else. We hope, you know, and uh, and so we've got to have a clear picture of what we hope to accomplish right. while they're with us in these 18 years. Gary, as a new parent, like many of us as new parents, you thought about academic skills. How are you going to, I'm sure you got the games for the kids early on. Oh, yeah. I bought them so many things that were beyond their age limit. You know, it's say yeah. five to 10 and they're six months old. You're thinking, oh, well, they'll grow bad. into it, yeah. you know, yeah. right? Or maybe they could start early because they're so bright, John. <laughs> they exceptionally so, yeah. But, uh, but that's one thing that all parents were interested in their academic ability. But um, you've given a lot of thought to social skills as well not just the emotional side that we've talked about, like anger and things like that, but simply the social skills. How much does parenting play into that? And how much is kind of nature? It's inbred into the child, their introversion, their extroversion, their people skills. How much can we really teach them as a parent about social behavior? I think it's the social skills that we can teach them. You know, personality may be there, but we can teach them social skills. What do those uh, look like, just to help me understand well, I, I the th- boundaries? I think that a lot of folks have the idea that if their children will just get academic excellence, they're going to make it in life. All of us know a lot of adults who lose jobs simply because they can't get along with people. Hmm. The EQ, they call yeah, it. Yeah. Emotional so what Smarts. we want to do is teach them such things as kindness. Mm. Be kind to people. Give people words that build them up and do things that, are, that benefit people. How would you just role play that for me as for a young parent who hasn't gone through that a few times? But if you see unkindness in your three or four-year-old, yeah. how do you point it out in a way that they're going to get a hold of it? So I've yeah. done something that was unkind. I yelled at her teased a little kid next to me. What would you say to me as my I, dad? I think one of the first things we would say is, honey, you know, that's not kind. And we need to apologize when we hurt somebody with our words. So tell Mary that you're sorry. You know, And yeah, they may not be feeling that they're sorry, right. but they're at least learning to say the words. Yeah. I'm sorry that I hit you. I'm sorry that I said that to you. And also, we speak kindly to them. Mm. When we're yelling at mm. them, we're not teaching them to be kind. And, and also, we apologize when we're not kind to them. Apology teaches you, I don't want to do that again, you know? So kindness, uh, there's the whole thing of gratitude. We want our children to have a sense of gratitude, not be grumbling and complaining everywhere they go that things aren't right. Yeah. We want them to see the good things that are there. You know, one of the games we suggest in the, in the book is when the children are old enough to talk, everybody gets in a room and everybody starts, you just go around, around everybody's thanking for something. You, yeah, right. uh, thank you, God, for the chair. Thank you, God, for the lamp. Thank you, God, for the rug. Thank you for the pillow. Thank, you know, just see how many things we can thank God for. Because in thanking God, then we're more likely to thank people. Ah. And obviously, when they receive a gift or somebody does something kind to them, to learn to say thank you for, to that person. Hey, let me ask you this, uh, Gary. When you see a discrepancy that I'll describe here in a moment, 
Um, and this is what I mean. The you know when your child is older and maybe does sleepovers at friends, and then of course the parents talk, and your friends say, "Oh, so and so was so good at our house. I mean, he did the dishes without being asked. He made his bed." And you, the parent, are going, "What kid is at your house? Because that's not the kid I have at my house." But that can happen too. What do you trust in that environment? What he's doing at your house, or what your son or daughter might be doing? Uh, in their friend's home when they're over there. Who's the real kid? Well, I think, first of all, you affirm what that mother said to you, and you tell that child, you know, Mrs. Jones said this about you. I am so proud of you. Right. So now you're affirming the positive behavior, and they're more likely to do it at home. But I think the thing at home is uh, we train our children either to be faithful in doing their chores or we let them slip. It's up to us, you know. They're going to do what we expect them to do, and if they don't follow the rules— then there needs to be some kind of consequences. If you don't make your bed, then there's a consequence. You decide what the consequence is. Let the kid know. You know, you don't make your bed. Okay, fine. I'll make your bed. It costs you 50 cents out of your allowance. Okay, I'll be happy to make it for you. <laughs> That's a good one. So I didn't think of that one. So, you know, you have boundaries, you have expectations, and you have consequences if they don't follow what they're supposed to be doing. Oh, I like that. Gary, I've got to say, though, and I'm sure most parents, let me just guess, 90% of parents will say when it comes to please and thank you, how can you tell a child probably 10,000 times over the course of four or five years, remember to say please and thank you, and you're still saying it when they're seven, eight, nine years old, and they're getting it sometimes, but it's amazing. That's got to be one of the most taught principles in uh, human history, <laughs> and they still will fail to do it. Why is yeah. that? Well, I don't know why the child doesn't pick up on that quicker, but I think if we have some consequences to their not saying that. Rather than just a reminder. Yeah, yeah they're far more likely to do it. Yeah. You know, I What's an appropriate consequence? To say, for example, after dinner's over and the, the guests have gone, to say, you know, honey, when Mrs. Jones gave you that little gift, uh, I noticed you didn't say thank you. And you remember what we said when you, when you don't fail to say thank you to someone? We take 25 cents out of your allowance, Okay. So I, I know you'll remember next time, and I'm proud of you, okay? Do I get an extra 25 cents, Dad, <laughs> when I remember? <laughs> I like one thing. There's a nuance to what you just said, Dr. Chapman, and that is even during a corrective moment with a small, younger child, I mean, this goes for all kids, of course, but uh, you feed in some sort of affirmation for, I know you can do it. I know you can do better. I'm affirming that I have expectations, and I think you can rise up there. That seems pretty important, but I don't do that so naturally. I want to dial in on the wrong behavior. Why is it important for the child to hear, but I know you can next time? Yeah, that's why I suggest, for example, that whatever discipline you're going to do, you wrap it in love. You express the child's love language perhaps before you give the discipline, and then you express it afterwards, and the child goes away feeling, okay, I did wrong. That was fair. Yeah. But if you just clobber them, you know, verbally or otherwise, and you don't give any affirmation to them, they walk away feeling, and I try to be good. I just messed up one time and I got it. Yeah. Yeah. And Gary, that's a critical uh, statement you're making there because I know, and I think to some degree I've made that mistake where we can overdo the correction to the point where the child feels like I'm not very good. Yeah. And when you get to that point, you've got more work as a parent to do bailing them out of their emotional stresses uh, because shame and constantly feeling guilty can have its own negative course. 
Yeah. Yeah. And in a home like that, where that's what the child gets all the time, you did wrong, you did wrong, you did wrong. One of the results is you get to be an adult and you're saying to yourself, if I ever get to be an adult, I'm never going to be wrong again. So you have a hard time apologizing. Because you don't want to admit that you're wrong because you, you were told that all your life. You know, heart you're trying heart. to get over that. Yeah, yeah, that's something. But it's so critical. Shame does such damage to children. Yeah. And we've got to be mindful of that as parents. And there might be some parents saying, well, you don't know the kid I've got. <laughs> They're really struggling. They yeah. don't do many things right. I don't see many things to affirm. Speak to that parent's heart about the need to go with some of that and absorb it and keep that child's integrity, that child's sense of, of confidence intact so they can begin to grow. Um, it's so critical, isn't it, with a child? Yeah, it is. I, I think one of the things when our children are misbehaving or doing things they shouldn't do or breaking a rule, obviously the consequences is part of it. But in the context of all of that, we need to affirm the child for something positive about them. And we need to look for things that we can be positive about. If all they ever hear is condemnation from us, they grow up with no confidence in themselves. And and they're going to have struggles their whole life. Mm -hmm. But if you say to them, you know, I really noticed what you did. This was really powerful. I really appreciate this. Man, that's a good trait. You know, you look for those traits that you can affirm. Maybe they only did it one out of 12 times, but they did it once. Mm -hmm. You affirm that once. You know, it's so interesting, Gary, as you're saying that. I'm thinking that's really the same advice in marriage. Absolutely. And I hear you saying as a marriage expert, and it is, it's what you do in relationships. It's human relationship, whether it's your spouse or your child, you've got to find something good that that person can hold on to that I'm not all bad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Chapman, going back to the big picture that you offer in this book, Things I Wish I'd Known Before We Became Parents, um, how much of the outcome of the parenting journey ahead of me should I own? How much should I feel a responsibility for? We've touched on it kind of yeah. during the conversation. Yeah, that's pretty direct. I mean, 99% or 50%? <laughs> yeah, I mean, what does a new parent need to know about that? Well, I think, first of all, we ought to recognize that we do have a responsibility. The child is a gift of God, and the child is totally helpless. The child will not make it without us. We, obviously, the food and the, and the sleep and all of that are the essentials to keep the child alive. But they have all these other needs, social needs, emotional needs that we've touched on. And I'm the primary teacher of that child. I mean, but before they go to kindergarten, all these things, they're going to be learning from me. So I do have a tremendous responsibility. But on the other hand, to the parent who's saying, well, I try, I did all those things, and then my child turned out badly, you know, is it my fault? And that's the common question they ask, you know, what did we do wrong when an adult child makes a poor decision? Mm-hmm. And I have to I say this, you know, look, God's first two children made poor decisions, and he had, they had a perfect father. So you're not perfect, I'm not perfect. We do the best we can, and books like this will help us, I think, do that. But we're not responsible for the decisions of our adult children. They are free to make decisions on their own when they get to be adults, and sometimes they're going to make poor decisions. We need to be there for them. We need to let them know we love them, but we don't need to take the guilt of what they do on ourselves because they've made an adult decision. So I think it's important to keep that in balance. Mm. Uh, Gary, this has been, like always, such an insightful and wonderful time with you. You have a way of just getting down to the practical nitty-gritty of how to do this and how to do this well, which is so important for us. 
Um, thank you for sharing your wisdom through Focus on the Family to so many people. It's wonderful to have you here. Well, thank you, Jim. It's always good to be here with you and John. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for listening. I'm John Fuller. Well, that was another great conversation with Gary Chapman there, highlighting ways that we can use our kids' love languages to love them better, and also reminding us that our children are profoundly influenced by what we model. I know from my own experience that when I encourage my girls and compliment them for kind behavior or for their generosity, for example, they stand a little taller and it just creates a positive atmosphere in our home. Now, if you're expecting or you know someone who is, you're going to want to get a copy of Gary's book, Things I Wish I'd Known Before We Became Parents. It's a great read, even for those who already have a small child in the home. Find it online at safamily.co.za or give us a call on 031-716-3300. Thanks for joining us today. For Focus on the Family Africa, I'm Graham Schnell, inviting you back next time when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.